The following program is being brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. For today, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, we'll talk about ocean literacy. Ocean literacy is a more encompassing approach to gaining awareness and understanding of oceans than our marine biology and oceanography alone. Science is a process of observing, questioning, recording, and, communi- and communicating. Ocean literacy is factual, observation-based, experiential studies of oceans with an equal emphasis on recording and communicating what we find and experience. Atlantic and Pacific Ocean solo ocean rower Roz Savage She understands ocean literacy when she says that a day rowing without three hours of recording and communicating, it's not a voyage, it's just a vacation. We need voyagers, observers, and communicators like Roz Savage, and from them we gain the understandings needed to stop the degradation of oceans and to start the healing of healthy ecosystems. Uh, Because today's episode is about ocean literacy, uh, we're going to talk during the duck, I'm going to t- talk during the duck and paddle note period about uh, what it means to be a literary naturalist. And um, uh, but this is about the people who paved the way for ocean literacy a hundred years ago. Uh, one of the most prolific and well-loved writers of the time was John Burroughs, and he really established nature study as a popular pursuit. He gave the natural history essay its definitive form and he set many of the standards for nature writing that we have today. He saw the task of the literary naturalist as twofold, to report both objective facts of nature and also one's subjective feelings. And one is not much without the other. Instead, the literary naturalist must combine both those facts and the human significance of nature. Observations of nature must be processed within the writer's mind. Uh, So he... Burroughs is, is famous for saying that um, if, uh, if I relate the bird in some way to human life, to my own life, and show what it is to me and what it is to the landscape in the season, then I give the reader a live bird and not just a labeled specimen, which is, if he's just describing it uh, um, as, as, a scientific, as a scientific manner and stuff. Uh, so there's a long history of, of ocean, uh, of uh, not ocean literature, of, of people uh, expressing themselves uh, and the importance of, of uh, for example, in Homer's Iliad, the poet recognizes how the water surrounds and empowers. 
and all around the outermost rim of Achilles' shield, the artisans set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus. And so the detail of an ocean river wrought around Achilles' bronze shield is passed down the generations, first in oral traditions, and we strap on an ocean-rimmed shield to our arm for protection in preparation of the trials before us. In the noise, in the noise of battle, writes E.B. White, uh, who's appreciative of a storm breaking his dread of concluding this cruise in the Atlantic that he goes on as a dishwasher, he writes, In the noise of battle, all the sad silences of my brooding and foreboding are lost. I'd always loved and feared the sea, and this gale was my bride, and I had three-day honeymoon, a violent, tumultuous time of undreamed-of ecstasy and satisfaction. Youth is almost always in deep trouble of the mind, the heart, the flesh. As a youth, I think I managed to keep myself in more, with more than my share. It took an upheaval of the elements and a job at the lowest level on a boat to give me the relief I craved. Uh, Jacques Cousteau writes about ocean science by reflecting on his childhood. He writes, The French region of Alsace-Lorraine wasn't the American frontier, but good enough. My family sent, spent a summer there in a house with access to a swimming pool. I tried to sit on the bottom, breathing through a tube I'd rigged to reach the surface. My experiment's failure gave me my first exhilarating success. I had discovered for myself that under a pool's worth of pressure, human lungs cannot draw in thin surface air. So, as you know, Cousteau goes on to invent the self-contained underwater breathing apparatus from this adolescent experience of trying it through a straw. And at the time of um, Burroughs' writing uh, and all the naturalists back then, uh, there were a number of naturalists who faked it, who started to say things that were impossible, including uh, a fox hiding underwater breathing through a straw. And uh, this would... This greatly upset President Theodore Roosevelt, who was a literary naturalist. And so he called these, these writers nature fakers. And he um, said that there is no more reason why the children of the country should be taught a false natural history than why they should be taught a false physical geography. The, pres the preservation of the useful and beautiful animal and bird life of the country depends largely upon creating in the young an interest in the life of the woods and fields. If the child's mind is fed with stories that are false to nature, the child will go to the haunts of the animal only to meet with disappointment. The result will be disbelief and the death of interest. The men who misinterpret nature and replace facts with fiction undo the work of those who, in the love of nature, interpret it aright. That's Theodore, President Theodore Roosevelt. So up in Alaska, E.B. White's sailing around, and he finds disappointment and a death of interest in his fellow mess boy, Lewis, who had come to believe that seals could fly. So White writes, At St. Paul, on the Privilof Islands, I went ashore during a lull in the mess, trotted out to the rookery and watched the seals. Each big bull was surrounded by his harem. Many of the cows had had their pups, and the place was like a gay, foul-smelling nursery during a child's party with fights breaking out among the elders. I could have watched the fun for days, but had to hurry back to my coffee urn. Lewis was disappointed when I reported that seals could not fly. He was filling a ketchup jar, a moment of high drama complicated by this saddening piece of news. So we've come a ways with ocean literacy since then. And to tell us about it, 
we've come 100 years, actually, and now we have this new term, um, ocean literacy. And it, too, is a concept that's steeped in science education. And for, de- for decades, uh, educators such as myself, who wanted more experiential learning, uh, one of the best places to go to was the Lawrence, and still is, the Lawrence Hall of Science at U.S. Berkeley, uh, at UC Berkeley, <laughs> the United States of Berkeley. No, uh, seriously. Um, as, as a former teacher, it's a great honor to introduce Craig Strange. Uh, Craig is known to many for his work with Ocean Curriculum, uh, particularly the uh, Mare Curriculum and COSI. And Craig and I have been going back to uh, National Education Association conferences for more years than I care to count. Craig, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, <laughs> good to hear your voice. Nice to hear uh, you. So um, tell us about how um, you got interested into uh, ocean literacy. Were you cruising in Alaska or trying to breathe through a straw or something? <laughs> well, um, I had sort of an idiosyncratic introduction to the ocean, I think. Um, I went to college at UC Santa Cruz, that's the University of California, Santa Cruz, and um, before my freshman quarter, the first quarter of my freshman year began, I remember uh, sitting in my dorm room on my bed, uh, flipping through the course catalog and having the stunning realization that I could pick anything I wanted to and I could take any classes that I, you know, that struck my fancy. Um, I'd never had that sort of academic freedom before. And I was flipping through the catalog, and I saw a course called The Natural History of Año Nuevo State Reserve, which is a, a little state park about 20 miles north of Santa Cruz. And I had been there uh, once before with my sister and my brother-in-law when I was a child um, on a sort of a Sunday outing picnic. And it was a fabulous place, and I remember sitting there and reading the course description and thinking and seeing that there were ten required field trips. And I thought, oh, my God, I can get five units for taking ten field trips to the beach? And that was really my motivation for beginning to study marine science. Um, and I, I took that course, and it really grabbed me. It wasn't really until I started college that I knew that that, uh, you know, that was something that was so powerful and so engaging for me that it, uh, that it would really drive the rest of my career. Did the elephant seals grab you, too? They did. That was, uh, that's uh, one of the highlights of visiting Año Nuevo, is seeing, at the time, uh, the only mainland uh, breeding rookery of elephant seals anywhere in the world. Um, now there are a couple of more along the west coast of North America, but at the time, that was really the only place that you could see the largest seal or sea lion uh, in the world, hauled out on beaches, uh, fighting and establishing dominance uh, in order to breed with females. Yeah, at the National Education Association's conference in 87, it was at Santa Cruz, and I had the opportunity to drive out there. And you can get pretty close to those dudes. You've got to be careful not to get involved with uh, their disputes or something. That's right. It's uh, You can like getting run over by a small Volkswagen. <laughs> but it's really great that you can go, you know, toe-to-toe with uh, nature like yeah, that. Yeah, it's really, I think, the closest thing that I've ever experienced in North America to going on a safari in Africa, where you really feel like you're in the middle of wildlife and they're in charge, not you. Yeah, yeah, just amazing. Um, 
So well, how did this uh, ocean literacy begin? Where did this come from? Well, there are a small handful of us around the country, yourself included, who uh, have really been committed to marine education for, for several decades. Um, and uh, I've been working in marine science education since the mid-'80s and, and started the MARE program, Marine Activities, Resources, and Education, that works with elementary and middle schools. And there are a small handful of people who have been doing that type of work and we've known all that time that the ocean provides uh, incredible, highly engaging context for students to learn about science and learn about the natural world. But beyond that, I think those few of us um, and the ocean scientists that are out in the field have really understood the intrinsic importance of the ocean, not that beyond the fact that it's just an engaging context, but, um, but the ocean covers over 70% of the planet, uh, half of the, more than half of the United States is actually underwater. Um, most of our oxygen on Earth is produced in the ocean. Most of the carbon on Earth is absorbed in the ocean, on and on. Um, in California, <clears throat> we have about a $45 billion ocean economy. Um, so the ocean is, is intrinsically important for people to understand, but despite that, We've been very frustrated. Most of our work has really been around the margins of the mainstream public education system. Um, the National Science Education Standards developed by the National Academy of Sciences and the state science standards uh, in, in all 50 states in the United States um, barely mention the ocean or concepts related to the ocean. Um, and so... We've had this challenge of um, of ocean science education being marginalized. And Meg, we're going to have to come back to you to learn more about the challenge of ocean literacy after this break. Okay. listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. So many key world issues today relate to energy and environment. 
We are living in a time where world events set us up for a major transformation of our society. Enter Dr. Bernie Balkan. Dr. Balkan is Commissioner for Energy and Transport for the Sustainable Development Commission in the UK. Whether it's the financial crisis, China's transformation, the emergence of India, or Obama's ascension, put yourself on the pulse of today's changes. Listen for Environment on the Edge with Dr. Bernie Balkan, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. Keep listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures, today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back with Craig Strange from the Lawrence Hall of Science at UC Berkeley. Craig, you were telling us about um, the beginnings and, and the uh, kind of tidal wave that's been building or looming for ocean literacy. And how, how does ocean literacy work today? Is it getting into schools? And what can people do? What, what, oh, oh, yeah, where can people go to learn more about your work at Ocean Literacy? Yeah, well, you can um, go. It's, there's one easy website you can find at www.oceanliteracy.net. And you can also go to the Lawrence Hall of Science website and learn about uh, many ocean science programs that are available to schools and the public um, uh, throughout the country. And you can go also to uh, the National Marine Educators Association website. You can go to the COSE, C-O-S-S-E, no, sorry, C-O-S-E-E dot net. Uh, those are the best resources that, that I know of. Great. Um, so how goes um, the work today? Well, I think we're, we're picking up steam, and I, and I like your analogy of a tidal wave. Um, I think the last few years have, have really been significant in uh, a sea change, if you will, in the public's awareness and, uh, and, and the school system's awareness of teaching about the ocean. I was just mentioning before the break that, that for many years, uh, ocean science has not been part of the mainstream science curriculum in this country. It's not present uh, in the national science standards or the state science standards in any of the 49 or 50 states that have science standards. Um, and so a few years ago, around 2004, uh, many of us that have been in the field for a while uh, came together to try and do something about that. And we brought together a couple of hundred scientists, um, educators, classroom teachers, government agency representatives, policymakers, and we held a national forum, mostly online, but including some face-to-face meetings. Uh, and we t- tried to establish some national consensus about what are the few things, the few really important, essential ideas about the ocean that every child should know and understand by the time they leave 12th grade in the United States. And so we were really making an effort not to try and develop a comprehensive course on marine science or a a new textbook that everybody would need to read, 
but the few big ideas that really should be part of the mainstream science curriculum for kindergarten through 12th grade. And uh, over the course of about a year, we got those couple of hundred experts to agree on a definition of ocean literacy and on a very few ideas, seven of them, that we think that, that every person should understand. So the, the definition of ocean literacy that we came to agreement about is that ocean literacy is an understanding of the ocean's influence on you and your influence on the ocean. And further, that an ocean literate person understands the essential principles and fundamental concepts about the functioning of the ocean, can communicate about the ocean in a meaningful way, and maybe most importantly, is able to make informed and responsible decisions regarding the ocean and its resources. So you can imagine it took us about a year to come up with that short paragraph of a definition for ocean literacy. The hard part um, in addition to the short paragraph, was to define what those ideas are, those essential principles and fundamental concepts that people should know. But the uh, definition is important because there was a lot of educator input into that. You know, the participatory process was what took so long, and thank goodness it wasn't just handed down from on high to you. That's right. And I think that the impact that we've had is directly related to that, Rob. I think you, you hit it on the head, um, that by the time we published the definition of ocean literacy and the seven principles of ocean literacy that we think everyone should understand, um, there was a lot of community buy-in already, and people were already developing new programs, designing exhibits and aquariums, writing curriculum materials, um, proposing changes to their, state, their own state science standards, etc. And, uh, and now it's been a couple of years since this material has been out, and we've had a tremendous impact. There have been about seven or eight entire conferences that have been held in three or four different countries exclusively devoted to ocean literacy. Wow. There have been two conferences in Japan, one in Chile, and uh, several in the United States that That's were great. established just for the purpose of bringing together scientists and educators to talk about these big ideas and how to get them out to the public. That's so important. I'm sorry for interrupting you a bit, but we've got some other people on the line that I, I, want, I want you to have a chance to bring in. Um, Craig, when we were first talking about this episode, you know, I asked, you know, who should also be on this show? And I, I like your answer. What was that? Well, it was my good friends and uh, admired colleagues, the Banana Slug String Band, um, this, these are uh, some musicians and educators uh, who essentially, I, I think, have created a whole genre of music. They've pioneered a whole field of teaching about the environment and about the natural world uh, through music and, and, uh, and theater. Um, so once we established what we think people ought to know about the ocean, my uh, immediate next step was to think about, well, how do we get these ideas out to the public? And um, my first choice for, <laughs> for getting help with that was to go to the Banana Slug String Band. I don't think anybody does it better anywhere in the world than they do. No, I, I can confirm that. I, as an active marine educator going to conferences, um, because I was an educator, the, the words, the, the lyrics really spoke to me that uh, Doug and Steve and, and Mark and um, Larry... Larry, thank you. <laughs> I put out there, and and also as a as a dad, 
you know, you help dads look good because you helped me in, introduce my kids, my three sons, to some really great tunes. And uh, you know you're a decent dad when the son called back from college and said, I met somebody who knows the banana slug string band, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, it's a great pleasure to, to introduce uh, Doug Dirt and Solar Steve. Are you there? Yes. Hello. Doug Dirt here. And this is Steve. Hi, everybody. Hi. So um, welcome to... Um, Ocean River Shields of Achilles. Um, you, you do a lot of um, education and traveling around, um, but let's get right down to ecosystems and critters and stuff. Can you tell us about the giant watershed project you're doing and are estuaries permitted to attend the project? Well, I think you're alluding to our, our last project that we did, which was all about watershed ed uh, called We All Live Downstream and it was initially funded by the, an Ohio EPA grant, and, and then it has gone into a national focus. And so that um, project was done two, uh, two, it was a two-year project we did uh, two couple years ago, and it led us to this current project, which is the Ocean Literacy, Literacy Project, that uh, we're right in the throes of, working with Craig and so help us out. Why watershed with literacy, with ocean literacy? Over Steve. I'm not sure what you're asking. Why watershed with ocean literacy? I guess it all goes together. You know, here in Bonnie Dune, it's been really great since we've written that, the watershed album. Here in Bonnie Dune, I'm, I'm going by, and in just the last year, they've put up signs indicating what watershed you're in. And if you turn left, you're in one watershed, you're in the San Lorenzo watershed, and if you turn right, you're in another watershed. And um, I think that kind of awareness, I, we, with our watershed album, we were trying to kind of be part of spreading that sort of awareness. In Santa Cruz, you go down to the curb, down to the storm drain, and there's a sign on the written right there on the cement saying, you know, this goes to the San Lorenzo River. So there's this awareness is is seems to be springing up everywhere, which well, is wonderful. really important that you did you make you bring the awareness to people because we don't get it naturally. We just seem to be blind to, you know. You ask people what watershed do you belong to, and they think you're crazy. They'll tell you the state, and that's about it. Right, right. We do an activity with uh, when we do our workshops with educators about finding your watershed address. <laughs> Uh, and how does one do that? Well, I mean, you start with the smallest creek that you're hooked to, and then you, and you, and then you like any address, then you follow it out to the bigger, to the bigger um, watershed, which ultimately would be whatever ocean you're next to. So I guess cool. that's how we connect the watershed to the ocean literacy, because it's all connected. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And... And uh, how do you, um, well, help me out here. Where do I go with this? <laughs> well, tell, I want you to tell them about the, the new CD that you're working on. Um, there you go. And, and how it relates to the ocean literacy campaign across the country. Well, i got to say, this, the, when we were, first of all, we really thank Craig for, he's, he's had lots of faith in us over the years, and he's funded our previous uh, ocean um, a CD with Mare, and so it's really great to be working with him again and to create this CD, which
which is a fantastic, this, this um, ocean literacy document is a fantastic document that um, uh, is very user-friendly, and I see it going into some great things, and we can tell you about that after the break. Yes. Uh, how can people learn more about you? Well, they can learn more about us, of course, by checking out our website, which uh, talks about all of our different programs. Okay, we'll get the site after the break. We'll tell you. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Have questions about wind power? Listen for the TLG Wind Power Hour with Terry from TLG Wind Power Products. He'll cover the ins and outs of wind energy with you, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or want a ready-made product. Let Terry give you the know-how and understanding of making wind energy work for you. Terry will share decades of hands-on experience so that you don't have to learn about wind power the hard way. The TLG Wind Power Hour, live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. For listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're back with the Banana Slug String Band. Doug Dirt and Solar Steve is on the, is on the show today, along with Craig Strange from the Lawrence Hall of Science. Uh, just before the break, um, one of you was telling us how we can get in touch with um, with with uh, Banana Slug String Band. Yeah, I a website we can go to. Kurt will tell you. It's uh, you can contact us 
best way these days is through the website, which is spelling out the name of the band, bananaslugstringband.com. And then it has all of our various things that we're up to and how we teach a workshop, school-related programs, um, large theater and zoo and aquarium programs, all our different areas of our work that we've done over the last 24 years. Well, that's great. Um, I think Steve was telling us a bit about the uh, Ocean Literacy CD that he's been getting support from Craig with. Yeah, on, in the CD that we're, we're creating now, based on the Ocean Literacy document, I was just saying that the document's really user-friendly. I, it's, it's laid out to get from general points to specific points, and every time I talk to educators, they get very excited about this. You can't... Is that true, Craig, that you can find it online, the literacy document? That's right. The whole thing is at uh, oceanliteracy.net. Yeah, and I would, I would uh, encourage teachers to go to that and start looking it over now because it really does give you some uh, good guidelines for creating curriculum. I think that's the idea is that teachers then will, will, create their, will create curriculum based off of these guidelines. Yes, it has the matrix on it. So if you want to go into the matrix... Yeah, that's the place to go to. And I poured over the matrix for I, I think literally ten hours. I poured over it trying to get to what I really wanted, how I could draw out the essential elements of it, so that I could get these songs down. And um, I feel pretty good about what we've done here in terms of really getting the information out. We've had peer review with with the people that Craig's been working with, so that we get our science correct. We sent them out some the lyrics, and they've sent us back some corrections, which has been fantastic. So we feel pretty good about all our science. Steve, can you give us an example of one you like? <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're working on this one. It's a very dense piece called Going Down, 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 and it's about um, bathymetry, and it's mapping the ocean floor. Oh um, and I'll just read you one of the, one of the fun... One of the fun lines here. Historically, it used to be a land called Pangea, plate set free to spread slowly a ridge continually across the bottom of one big sea. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's kind of a spoken word rap, the hip-hop tune uh, with music, too. It's going to be a fantastic tune. We're hoping to get maybe Michael Franti to, to sing on it. Oh, so you're going to have other people singing. Yeah, you want to talk about that, Doug? Sure. Wait a second. I have a question for um, Steve. Do you know what lies on the bottom of the ocean and shakes? What lies on the bottom of the ocean and shakes? Yes. Uh, tell me. Nervous wreck. <laughs> I like That's it. A good we one. can I use like that, that in our one. show. I like that. Very good. Very good. Um, Doug, help you out quick. Okay, I'll help you out right now. So the idea, when, when we got together with Craig and, and we said, okay, well, I think it's a really great idea. We should put music. Music will give it music and theater and, and all the accompanying stuff that we'd like to do. We'll give the uh, this ocean literacy campaign some teeth with educators and kids because edutainment definitely works deeply into the psyche. It has lots of research about multimodal integration and such. So we so we so we said well. And another thing that we'll give it teeth is if we get some very very famous and active, uh, well marketed. Um, out there entertainers who are entertainers in their own right out in mainstream to come on this CD and support us of uh, doing special guest appearances, which will allow this album to get much more um, recognition in, in, the, in the world 
of music and hopefully in the world of education. So we've had a lot, a lot of people step forward because they see the value and the crucialness of this topic. And so people like Beau Soleil, who is a Grammy Award-winning group out of Louisiana that does uh, Wonderful Cajun and Zydeco, Michael Doucet and Beau Soleil uh, did a track, a wonderful Cajun track. Um, And we've had... uh, Victor Wooten, who is also Grammy Award-winning, incredible bassist, personal hero of mine, and a great environmentalist tracker, um, who's playing bass on that track that Steve just quoted, Down, 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 and Michael Franny is considering doing the vocals. Michael Franny is with Spearhead. It's another great edutainment um, hip-hop group. And so we just we just decided we're just going to pick everyone, and then that we thought and go right up to them and just see, do you want to contribute? And Jack Johnson, who is also a very uh, wonderful ocean educator, has a wonderful foundation of his own called the Kakua Foundation, he and his wife, Kim, and he stepped forward and also agreed to do uh, vocals on this with with definitely the idea that they were trying to add their name and their power and star power to make sure that this message goes out as far and as wide and as impactful as possible. So it's been fun. George Winston uh, is definitely has added wonderful slack key guitar. The, the list goes on, and it's it's very heartening for us in our 24th year that people are um, willing and wanting to uh, join with us and to create something that will be very powerful, powerful uh, musical curriculum. That is very impressive. Uh, so again, it's bananaslugstringband.com. That's our that's the uh, website. The CD is going to be called Only One Ocean. And it'll be available on your website. It'll be available far and wide on yeah. our website, all kinds of iTunes, all the different downloadable features. Right. Our website will direct you. And we have so we have quite a variety of, like we always try to do, put in a lot of genres of music. We have, we have a rock tune, we have Irish tunes, we have Cajun tune, we have a folk tune, we have um, a swing tune, a hip-hop tune. So it goes on and on, and, and it makes it... Interesting uh, uh, musically as well. Interesting both for, of course, the kids, because we're definitely trying to hook the kids, and, of course, the adults like yourself, um, Rob, who had to hear our music for a number of years, try to make it so that it's not not a torture. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you, because as a teacher, it's really important that you pronounce things well and you remember your facts. It's much easier to remember facts if they rhyme together. <laughs> so uh, you, you guys have been contributing and helping teachers since day one. Thanks. It's been our pleasure. It's been our pleasure. Um, um, tell us. Go ahead. I was just going to say, just on that note, that that uh, as we as we as we enter this project and we're and we're coming into now where we're just coming into the to uh, getting the recording uh, halfway, almost three quarters of the way through, <clears throat> we're recognizing. That uh, that there's a lot of work to be done in this field and the, in the focus of ocean literacy, and what we're excited about was all the different centers, all the different um, educational centers that came together to support the CD from all over the country, with all their different focus about um, specific issues that might be pertinent to the East Coast, West Coast, South Coast, um, lakes region, and 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 made it uh, more of a more of a one ocean focus, and all these different centers are excited about using the music in their centers and integrating it in to make their messages get more powerful. So is it all of that uh, integration, is, it, it's just great. It's just very exciting for us. We hope to perform in all those areas and uh, be able to carry that music around. 
We've even done a collaborative uh, song with um, Chico Bags, uh, who is also sponsoring a show, co-sponsoring a show we're doing, um, and we did the song Turtle Ate a Jelly, and it's about turtles who think they're eating jellyfish or eating, really eating plastic bags, and um, so the, the point is to, to make sure you bring your reusable bag to the grocery store. Uh, because we do have that giant gyre, I believe. What is it, 100, 100 miles long or something? That it's it's stupendous. It's enormous out in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. There's also one in the Atlantic Ocean you know, because this stuff floats and it settles in the middle of these oceans. Yeah. And I know, I know, Rob, you're asking for a little bit of a song, so here I'll sing yeah. a little bit of that for the, for the folks in the radio audience because we can't really play music because we're holding phones. And... Uh, Unfortunately, you can get you can hear some of this music. Uh, we have it all on our website. You can hear various pieces. But Turtle Ate a Jelly goes, Turtle Ate a Jelly because it didn't feel so welly because he didn't. Well, how does it go, Steve? Cause it Turtle didn't... Ate a Jelly because he didn't feel well. He had a pain in his belly because the jelly wasn't what he thought it would be. It, it was, was a plastic, plastic bag. bag. A what? It was yeah. a plastic bag. Too many plastic bags. Now in the sea. There you go, live, live and rough. <laughs> you heard it live from Bonnie Dune, right? Is that where you're at? That's where I am, yeah. Bonnie Dune in Santa Cruz. In Santa Cruz. Yep. Yeah. So, Rob, uh, this is Craig again, and I just yes. want to say also that uh, once the CD is out uh, and available, that's just the beginning here, and uh, we're hoping to put together an ocean literacy tour with the banana slugs, and they'll be available to do shows and performances uh, in large venues and schools and anywhere we can bring them. So I'm hoping that maybe some of your listeners uh, will be interested enough to try and book a show on the tour when they're in town. Yes, yes. Stay in touch. Uh, We will post those at oceanriver.org as well um, on our website. um, we're running out of time, and I really want to thank uh, Doug Dirt and Steve, uh, Sora Steve, and Craig Strange from Lawrence Hall of Science and Banana Strug String Band for doing this part of the show. Thanks a lot, guys. You're very, very welcome. I love the work you're doing. Keep it up, and we look forward to being on the show again with some more fun things. Thank you very much. All right. It's a pleasure, Rob. Thanks. Yeah, we'll do it again. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together now. All together now. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Can we recognize our world not as a commodity, but as a sacred creation that will support us best the more creatively we live on it? Green Visions is all about how a spirit of innovation and pleasure can be brought into solving our environmental problems. Join your host, Carolyn North, each week as she talks about what citizens of the world are doing to make a difference. Heal the planet, heal yourself, and have a good time doing it. Tune in to Green Visions with Carolyn North every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. The Green Talk Network is here. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back, and we're talking about Ocean Literacy in this episode, and there's been a great initiative for ocean literacy that was published in the Federal Register on June 12th at President Obama's direction. And I'd like to take a minute to read those first paragraphs because within these lines, you'll hear much that has been and is being discussed about ocean rivers and also about ocean literacy on this uh, Internet radio show. And, uh, and, and then we're going to uh, have some... Uh, uh, we're going to talk with Mike Dunmire from Ocean Champions, and Craig Strange is still on the line from the Lawrence Hall of Science in COSI. Uh, this this, uh, this uh, is titled, Memorandum for the Heads of Executive Departments and Agencies. Subject, National Policy for the Oceans, Our Coasts, and Great Lakes. The ocean, our coasts, and Great Lakes provide jobs, food, energy resources, ecological services, 
recreation, and tourist opportunities and play critical roles in our nation's transportation, economy, and trade, as well as the global mobility of our armed forces and the maintenance of international peace and security. We have a stewardship responsibility to maintain healthy, resilient, and sustainable oceans, coasts, and Great Lake resources for the benefit of this and future generations. Yet, the oceans coasts and Great Lakes are subject to substantial pressures and face significant environmental challenges. The challenges include water pollution and degraded coastal water quality caused by industrial and commercial activities both onshore and offshore, habitat loss, fishing impacts, invasive species, disease, rising sea levels, and ocean acidification. Oceans both influence and are affected by climate change. They not only affect climate processes, but they are also under stress from the impact of climate change. Renewable energy, shipping, and aquaculture are also expected to place growing demands on ocean and Great Lake resources. These resources, therefore, require protection through the numerous federal, state, and local authorities with responsibility and jurisdiction over the oceans, coasts, and Great Lakes. To succeed in protecting the oceans, coasts, and Great Lakes, the United States needs to act within a unifying framework under a clear national policy, including a comprehensive ecosystem-based framework for the long-term conservation and use of our resources. Mike, it's good to have you today. Good to have you with us today from Ocean Champions. Why do we need a national ocean policy? Well, Rob, thanks. Uh, first of all, it's great to be here. Um, well, uh, as, the, as the presidential memo laid out, the ocean provides so many different key services, and its resources are, uh, are used in so many different ways. Uh, and given all of those divergent interests, our oceans, coasts, and Great Lakes are governed now by over 140 laws and by 20 different federal agencies, each one of these with different goals and often conflicting mandates. Um, and presently, there is no guidance on how to resolve trade-offs that occur between these interests, and many problems just fall through the cracks. Uh, in addition, with so many organizations that have just a piece of the jurisdiction, there's very little consistency across decisions, and it's one of those situations where if everybody's got a piece of something, nobody owns the whole thing. Uh, so if we're going to start to address some of those major cross-cutting problems that the memo also lays out, we've got to start by solving this governance problem. Yes, absolutely. So um, what, should, what should the national ocean policy do? Um, well, it, uh, it needs to do a lot of things, uh, but first and foremost, it needs to include a value statement uh, that it is the policy of the U.S. to protect, maintain, and restore the health of marine and Great Lakes ecosystems. That statement is important because the number of uses of the ocean is large and, as the memo says, is expanding, uh, and without such a value statement, how would you know how to manage the trade-offs between those uses? And how would you know where to site a shipping line versus a wave energy installation or a marine protected area, for example? Um, you know, there's also been a tendency in the past to look at the ocean resources as things to be harvested rather than things to be preserved. Um, the parallel here is really the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act, which, 
are essentially value statements that clean air or clean water are important, and we're going to take actions to bring about that result. Right now, we have no corresponding healthy ocean value statement, uh, and the national ocean policy needs to provide that. that that's first. Um, next, to, to successfully protect, maintain, and restore, uh, the policy's got to be grounded in ecosystem-based management. Uh, today, decisions about ocean resources are typically made in a species-by-species, problem-by-problem manner, uh, whereas ecosystem-based management would consider the interplay between all species and their habitats, including the impact of, of human activities. Um, so that's kind of foundational. Then the next piece is that the, the policy itself has got to address these governance problems that we just laid out um, by finding a, a mechanism that will ensure consistent implementation of the policy across all the federal agencies that are involved. Um, part of this is structural, and, and that's really complex. And I think that's one of the things the uh, the group of people looking at this is going to be you know, really seeking input on trying to find good examples. Um, but part of it is, is simply uh, directing the federal agencies to go ahead and interpret and enforce their existing regulations in accordance with that policy value statement that we laid out uh, and to look at any policies that are not aligned with that, with that value statement and change them so that they are and then to find where the gaps exist and, and, and issue new regs. Um, you know, so the bottom line is that the agencies need to be directed to minimize harm to the ocean through their activities and to actually proactively take action to prevent harm where it's possible. And then the policy itself can go in and start to address uh, possible solutions to some of those problems that the memo laid out, for example, restoring fisheries, restoring habitats, improving water quality, addressing acidification, and, and things like that. Excellent. It, it seems that the um, Well, let me read the fourth paragraph of, of the memorandum. It says, in order to better meet our nation's stewardship responsibilities for the oceans, coasts, and Great Lakes, there is established an interagency ocean policy task force to be led by the chair of the Council on Environmental Quality. The task force shall be composed of senior policy-level officials from the executive departments, agencies, and offices represented on the Committee on Ocean Policy. This task force is not meant to duplicate that structure, but rather intended to be a temporary entity. So um, it's, this, is, this is a task force. They're not going to be directing uh, agencies in what to do. They're going to be making recommendations. And um, uh, how can uh, people participate in, in this um, process? Well, uh, the, the interagency task force uh, is going to start by looking at you know, some of the existing body of work that's out there on this issue. So they'll look at the, uh, uh, the, the Pew Commission report and the report from the U.S. Commission on Ocean Policy, um, but they're, they're also creating avenues for public input. Um, right now, you can go out to their, uh, their website and you can issue comments directly. The other piece is that they've set up a number of listening sessions uh, where people have the ability to comment directly to task force members. Uh, and it's really, really important that the ocean community have a strong turnout for these public meetings. And we've seen time and time again that elected officials will respond to the interests of their constituents when, when those interests are made clear. Uh, and uh, like I say the ocean community really needs to get out and represent in these meetings. Um, the first one that's been set up is August 21st in Anchorage, Alaska. 
and there are four more with dates tentatively set. There's one set for San Francisco, likely September 17th, one in Providence, Rhode Island, September 24th, another in Cleveland on September 28th or October 7th, and then one in New Orleans on October 19th. So, you know, get out there, get your friends. If you live anywhere near those places, please go, because an informed and engaged public is really going to make a difference on this. Mike, where can people go for information about that that you just told us? Well, uh, you can go to the CEQ's website, which is uh, www.whitehouse.gov slash administration slash EOP slash initiatives slash oceans. And, Rob, we've got to put this on your radio website. Um, you can also come to oceanchampions.org. We will be putting out blogs and talking points uh, on these issues so that people can, you know, to, to, to inform some of the comments that people might, might make. And we'll also provide direction to other ocean groups that are putting out material on this so that we can be as coordinated as possible. Thank you, Mike. It's all the time we have, but I really appreciate you coming on to Ocean Shields of Achilles. Uh, thank you so much, Rob. It's always, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.